If you're open your Bibles, the scripture reading this morning will come from Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10, uh, as well as verse uh, 31. Uh, in the Pew Bible, that's on page 763. Again, that's Ezekiel 34, 7 through 10, and 31. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became flood for every food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd nor did my shepherds search for my flock but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock therefore O shepherds hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord God behold I am against the shepherds and I will require my and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to, them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. And then verse 31. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest here this morning, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you. The Lord's Day, Sunday, is a special day every week that it rolls around. The time to be together to worship God with God's family and, and to especially partake of the Lord's Supper and remember all that God has done for us and in the hope that he wants to spend an eternity with us. And to be able to sing about that and pray about that and study about that and to generously give uh, because of our love through all that God has loved us is just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Some days as we follow God's plan, it gives us extra things to rejoice about. Today, as we point additional elders, it's because it's God's will for elders to lead his people, specifically a congregation on this earth. And so today, in the midst of the Lord's Day, it's wonderful that we can also observe the organization of which he's given. It's wonderful that we have men that are qualified and willing to serve presently, and then additional men that are willing to join in that service with them. God has blessed us richly at this congregation. And let's make sure that we do not take that for granted. And let's make sure that we never become arrogant in it. But yet, let's make sure that we remember that we are taught to much is given, much is required. And so let's serve faithfully and forcefully for the kingdom's sake in this. The quality of a group of people, no matter what their size, will be determined by their leadership. You may or may not like that, but that's a fact. That's the way God designed leadership. When you see a congregation that has been far to the left for a lot of years, I can assure you beyond any doubt their eldership is far to the left and has been for many years. When you see a congregation that's far to the right or right down the middle of the road and they've been that way for years, it's because their eldership has been that way. When you see a congregation that for years they have been very evangelistic, it's because their eldership for years has been very evangelistic. When you see a congregation that's either really friendly or not really friendly, I can assure you for years their eldership has either been really friendly or not really friendly. 
Listen, the way God designed leadership is that people do not go in a different direction of their leadership. And if they do, it's generally a clean break. It breaks our heart to state the reality, but the reality is when a group stops respecting and trusting their leadership, they rebel. And in congregations, we see where a group leaves a, a particular group of eldership, and it's because there's no longer trust there. And I know also sometimes you could say, well, there's exceptions there. For example, all of us have seen ungodly mothers and fathers have at least one child in that family that will end up being a faithful Christian. And you say, well, how did that happen? The leadership in their home was not faithful. Well, somewhere along the way, that child was influenced by someone else. And they decided in the spiritual realm to look to someone else to be their spiritual leader instead of their parents. I throw those out to say to you, those are the two exceptions. Every now and then we'll see an individual go a different route of leadership. Or every now and then we'll see a group just simply rebel from leadership that they no longer trust. But the rule of thumb is strong. The quality of the people will be determined by the quality of the leadership. Now second, please note this. The rule of thumb is people cannot surpass their leadership. There is really such a thing as glass ceilings. The spirituality of this congregation will never as a whole surpass the spirituality of the eldership. The scriptural knowledge and the way that knowledge reigns life and the way it is loved and treasured will never surpass the spiritual knowledge of the eldership and how much they love and treasure the word of God. Today, I begin with this just to remind all of us of how important it is that we always aspire in this congregation to have elders who are very spiritual minded, who lead us toward the Lord because the direction they lead is the direction that we will go and the height of their ceiling will determine the height of our ceiling. And let us make sure that we are always prayerful, that we are always encouraging, that the best that a congregation can do to edify men to not only step up as elders, but to continue to grow as Christians, let us always be a congregation that embraces that. When we think in scripture of a good passage about leadership, we can't help but think about the passage that was just so capably read in the book of Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. As you look in your text of Ezekiel, I'd like to remind you that Ezekiel was a prophet to Judah and he prophesied with them about nine to 11 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And then when he finally was taken into Babylonian captivity himself, he met up with Daniel that had been there nine years before him. So there's a part that we read in this book where he's saying in a prophetic sense, you need to turn, you're going to fall, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And then you get over to the 33rd chapter and in the 33rd chapter in the verse 11 and no, 21 and 22 in the 33rd chapter, 21 and 22, he makes it clear. He says, God allowed a mute to, uh, to escape and allowed him to speak. And he came over and told them that Jerusalem has been captured. 
And so then that leads us to the context of the 34th chapter. And the context of the 34th chapter is, okay, Jerusalem has finally fallen. And even though he doesn't use these words in the context that is stated, in other words, he says, shepherds, it's your fault. You have been pitiful, ungodly, negligent, abusive shepherds. And look what now has happened to Jerusalem. Look how you all have either been destroyed there or taken into captivity. It's just that reminder, that sobering reminder of the power of leadership. Before we read just a few verses out of Ezekiel 34, I'd like to remind you of three groups of leaders that were ordained in the Old Testament that really give us keen insight to what God wants leaders to do. One is priest. When, when God ordained priests through the Levitical tribes, God wanted the priests to be the individuals that would somewhat stand between the people and God and, and they would come as broken, as sinners, saying, I want to be reconciled. Then there were prophets. Prophets would stand up and they would speak the oracles of God. You can go to the next slide if you like. And, and they would speak the oracles of God. In other words, the truth of God needed to be spoken and they would speak it. The people could listen to God or they could reject God, but it was the leader's responsibility to speak it. And then there were kings. Remember, the people no longer wanted judges. And the kings were to lead people. They were to be the ones out front setting the course of direction. And remember, whenever they had ungodly and wicked kings, the people went in an ungodly and wicked way. And whenever they would have a godly king, the people went in a godly way. And they also were in that to protect the people. There's always enemies of people. God's people have enemies. Kings, if you will, leaders that are in charge, if you will, they're the ones that always were to protect the people of God. Look with me, if you will, to a metaphor that we see in Scripture over and over that in a sense contains all three of these. A shepherd, his work is one that is to do all three of these things. Look with me, if you will, in Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, and I'd like for you to think about the work of a prophet, that they were to speak the oracles of God. And when shepherds are to feed sheep, we know what that is physically, to offer pasture. But when we think about spiritually, what does that mean? That means to take the word of God. That's our diet. That's our only hope. If we do not have the word of God, we will be famished and we will die spiritually. And so it is up to the shepherds to make sure that the sheep are fed. But notice... They weren't doing that. Remember the setting here? Jerusalem had just fallen. And he's saying, I want to tell you why you have fallen. And notice how he calls out the shepherds here, 34 and 1. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds. It's never good to hear a woe. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. 
You see, the principle here is, is that of arrogance and that of selfishness. And we see it even in third world countries today where leaders, oftentimes we look at the poverty of a third world country and we say they need more resources. Shame they don't have it. And some of them that's true, but for some of them the resources are there. It's just they keep it all on the upper level of, the, of, of those in power, those in authority. And, and then those that are under their authority starve. They go in poverty. That's what's happening here in a sense that he's saying, look, you had the opportunity to reach down and help the people, but instead you remain selfish. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, it went even beyond that. And they starved the people from the word of God because they themselves weren't living the word of God and they weren't teaching others to live the word of God. So in that sense, the shepherd was to be like a prophet. But notice the very next verse, verse four, we see it's be like a priest. The weak you have not strengthened nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken. Now let's pause right there for just a moment. What are shepherds supposed to do? Shepherds are supposed to be able to identify the sheep that are hurting. And like a priest would go to people that needed atonement and he would stand between the people and God so that the people could be reconciled to God. That's the beauty of, of one of the aspects of a priest. I believe in one sense, and this may be a little bit of a stretch, but I believe in one sense, that's why when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, you remember there's that person broken, they're hurting, and different ones passed by. You remember one of the ones that passed by was a priest? Why did Jesus put a priest in that story? Because if there was anybody that their task in life was to reach out and to help the broken, it should have been a priest that would have said, that's, that's my heart. That's what I do. I help people that are hurting. And yet the priest, without compassion, just looked the other way. He looked and then he just passes by on the other side. And so here in, in Ezekiel, God, through Ezekiel, is calling out the bad shepherds. And he's saying, you're telling me you're seeing all this brokenness in your people? And you're able to just operate as if it's no problem. Now, if we're talking about real livestock, anytime you move livestock from one pasture to another, and you don't have to go very far, the weaker ones always end up in the back. And if you're going to go like a half a mile or a mile, the weaker ones lag way to the back. I'm saying that to point out to you that in the realm of shepherding, which sheep were weak was obvious. Obvious as your hand right in front of your face. They would have gotten it when he was saying, that's what shepherds do, is they take care of the weak. Spiritually, you've been seeing all of these people weak. Now, put this in order. Why would they have been weak? Because they haven't been fed. They haven't been given the word of God. And if you don't have the word of God, listen, I'm not talking about just Ezekiel 34. I'm talking about us. If you don't have the word of God running into your mind and through your spiritual veins, you are starving yourself. And the only thing that can happen next is you will start to be broken and weak. Please believe that. There is nothing within your nature that can sustain you spiritually. It is the word of God that gives us strength and direction. And without it, we begin to lose our way. Well, what's the very next thing that happens? Once we become weak, then we're scattered. The healthy ones are moving on. The weak ones are prey for the enemy that's there. 
And so let's read about that in the rest of verse 4, Ezekiel 34, the rest of verse 4 going into 5. Nor brought back what was driven away. See, the shepherds, they didn't bring back the sheep that were driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they... There was no shepherd and because, and they became food for all the beasts of the field. When they were scattered, my sheep wandered through all the mountain on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching them. Notice it, in verse five where he says they scattered because there was no shepherd. Let that sink in. There were shepherds appointed to office but he cries out and says, when I see my sheep scattered and the enemy is destroying them and nobody goes after them, I don't care what position you say you hold, my sheep don't have a shepherd. I wonder how many congregations today across America the Lord could say, yeah, I see your director. You say you have X number of elders. But let me tell you something about your congregation. You don't have any elders. When the broken is hurting and scattering and they are not being retrieved, the Lord says, you don't have shepherds. What are you going to do when a shepherd comes to you? That's none of his business. Well, it depends whether or not you want to be a child of God and whether or not you respect the teaching of God's word. God says if a man won't come to you, he's not a shepherd. And the responsibility is all of us to care for each other's sheep. It's not just the elders in Luke 15 that leave the, the 99 behind and go after the one. We all are to care for each other's souls. But shepherds have the leading responsibility of caring for each other's souls. For time's sake, can I just... Can I just show you three verses? It's so important, but for time's sake, we just don't have time this morning. But, but I'd like for you to think about in the New Testament... This idea of what a prophet spoke forth the word of God and what does he expect elders to do? If you're not familiar with Titus 1, 9, 10, and 11, those are kind of the end, if you will, of the qualifications given about elders in Titus. And he makes it very clear that the elders are the ones that's be able to speak forth the word of truth and combat those that are not speaking truth. And then we go to 1 Timothy 3 and 4 and we think about what does God expect an elder to be there. He expects him to be one who cares for the church of God. Now think about that, to care for them. Like, like someone that would stand in the middle and say, I wanna lead you to God, but right now I understand that you need care. Maybe you're weak, maybe you're broken. And like a priest that would say, I'm here for you spiritually. I'm here to help you be reconciled to God. I'm here to lead you toward God. And, and so that's part of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. God is saying, care for them. It's not just a position of a boardroom. It's care for them. And then when we go to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, and we see uh, elders or overseers there, you think of the word king and the one that had authority over. And there he tells them that they, the shepherds, they serve as overseers. That's also the word bishop. That also is, is literally like the word in English, supervisor. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but that's, why, that's how the Lord looks at elders. And he says, these people right here, you're over them. Like a king is over a nation, you're over them. Now, I don't want you to rule in, in, in a harsh way. I want you to rule in a godly example, he teaches here. But the fact is, you have responsibility for the direction of these people. Protect them and lead them toward heaven. What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful thought. Listen, God's way, 
God's way is perfect. Everything we've studied this morning, you and I need it or God wouldn't have designed it that way. And how wonderful it is when we have men that to the best of their ability will devote their life to God in helping us love the truth like a prophet would, helping us to be healed and broken and, and be reconciled with God like a priest of the Old Testament would, and to help us lead, be led toward heaven and protected from enemies like a king would. Early in this service, Josh read from 1 Thessalonians 5 that we should know those that lead us and we should love them for their work's sake. I'd like to remind you that over the last 124 years, there have been several men that have devoted their life to leading us. I would, of those of the past, thanks to Brother Pat Hackney, uh, those of the past, I'd like to just mention a sentence about each one of them that maybe would help all of us have greater appreciation. And then I'll share a sentence about each of our present elders. And, and as I do that, they'll walk up and then uh, they will take over the service at that point and uh, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful day. We are blessed to have men in the past like Talbert Fanning Hamilton Sr. He served on the building committee for the construction of the old block building built in 1908 after the first building burned. The first building was a frame building that sat right here in this corner and across the creek was a sawmill that was powered by a steam engine. And the steam engine through a spark came over the river, over the creek, landed on top of the little block, the little frame building and burned it. So they decided they'd build back in 1908 a block building with a metal roof to protect that from happening again. Well, he was the one on the building committee for that. Jim Grigg was the one and began serving in 1910 also. He was responsible for raising the money for the construction of the first house, that frame building we was just talking about, that was erected in 1891. Imagine 1891, he raised $3,000 to be able to do that. He also was the co-owner of the first grocery store here in Mount Juliet. George Van Buren Goodall began serving in 1910 as the elder, and he was the great-grandfather of our Van Goodall. He was known as Pa Goodall and would do Bible studies in his house on Sunday afternoon using the old gospel advocate lessons. H.P. Cawthon began also in 1910 serving as an elder, and he was a song leader for the first group of Christians that worshiped here. Also, he was the great-grandfather of Lindsay McPherson. R.V. Cawthon began serving in 1925. He was the son of H.P. Cawthon, just formally mentioned. He was known as Preacher Cawthon, he preached for 50 years, baptizing thousands, and was responsible for establishing over 20 congregations in this area. He held over 400 gospel meetings within 30 mile radius of here in Mount Juliet. H.C. Denson began serving in 1927. He was the father of Dot Zumbro, who was our first full-time secretary here that many of us will dearly remember. He was a farmer and a devoted Christian who spent the latter years of his life preaching at the Beckwith Church of Christ. J.S. Hatfield began serving in 1938. And he was a kind and gentle person who owned a large farm where the Mount Juliet Middle School is located now, and he always wore a bow tie. In 1949, C.J. Potter began serving, and he was the father of Joycelyn Galloway and Sandra Williams. Also, he was the grandfather of P.D. and Earl Wayne McCullough. He was a good song leader and a humble man. 
Johnny McCullough began serving in 1950. He was the grandfather of Clint McCullough and Tracy Martin and the father-in-law of Sharon Tigret. He was a mail carrier and an excellent Bible teacher. He wrote the history of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ up to that time. Robert McCullough began serving in 1966. He was the father of P.D. and Earl Wayne McCullough. He drew the plans for the building that was erected in 1969, which is our fellowship hall, which was formerly our auditorium. He was the younger brother of Johnny. Kenneth Hackney began serving in 66. He was the husband of Nancy Hackney and the father of Lindsay McPherson and Leanne Vickers and grandfather of Lauren McPherson and Ryan Vickers. Also, he was Pat Hackney's oldest brother. He led singing and taught Bible classes. Paul Hunter began serving in 66. He always greeted people when they exited worship service. He led singing and was a jovial person. Barry Jones began serving in 71. He started the visitation program here at Mount Juliet. He and his wife Lois have two sons and live in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, and he's in poor health with MD. Ronnie Sneed began serving in 76. He was a people person, kind and friendly. He was a Bible teacher and loved the Lord and his church. He and his wife Joanne worships at the Powell Grove Church of Christ presently. Thax Jackson began serving in 80. He was the husband of Gene Jackson and the father of Sherry McCullough and Stephanie Moss and Melanie Sweeten. And he followed the old paths. I thought of him just the other day as his granddaughter was being baptized here. Tommy Dixon uh, was served in 1981. He started the collection of canned goods for the needy. He loved to work with children. He and Nancy worshiped at, at, they worship at Belinda Parkway Church of Christ. Bill Staggs began serving in 91. He was the former mayor of Mount Juliet. He owned and operated a drugstore and pharmacy on Highway 70. He and his wife, Judy, worship at Brentwood Hills. He was the one that by his example and continual encouragement began the Latin America work here at Mount Juliet. Tommy Whittle began serving in 97. He's the husband of Sandra Whittle and father of Melissa Williamson and Jeff Whittle. He is presently working with the Vesta Church of Christ God has blessed us richly with wonderful, wonderful men in the past, but he's also blessed us presently uh, with wonderful men. Uh, they did not, of course, ask me to do what I'm about to do in sharing this with them, but I was supposed to call them forward. And so I'm going to say a, just a sentence or two about them as I call them forward. Um, Brother Albert England. He's a builder of furniture and of structures, but also with God as partner. He's a builder of his family and the Lord's family. He's always concerned with how to increase the kingdom and expand it here at Mount Juliet. Pat Hackney is a man of God who has committed his mind to learning and teaching God's word. He reminds us often there's always room for one more at Mount Juliet. David Fleming is a persistent servant of God who is, a gift, who is gifted with a huge heart of compassion to help those of our flock that are hurting. He seeks to help us heal and when, when we are found broken. He pushes through much of his own physical pain to serve God in this family at Mount Juliet. Dwayne Griffin is, is a Barnabas of Mount Juliet. His demeanor edifies us. Every leadership needs a cheerleader and so do the followers. Griff has sparked us on. He's rallied the troops and he has persuaded us to move forward without ceasing. Tony Huddleston is a quieter servant, but do not mistake this for weakness. His faith is mighty and his convictions are equal. He will not waver. He has, he has loyally served us in serving God. David Burke is a man of prayer. 
He is a disciplined servant who leans upon God. He encourages us to trust in the Lord and pray fervently also. James Whitaker is a bishop of the kingdom and a shepherd of souls. He is busy almost every day of the week caring for the flock and looking us up. He's intentional and he's productive. Dennis Nozel is a man of God who seeks souls and helps hurting. He has led stateside mission trips and has even participated in either three or four different mission trips this calendar year. He has spent decades working in benevolence with a beautiful compassion and an admirable wisdom. Hoyt Smith, his quiet demeanor is bathed in a love for God's word. He is a student and a teacher on the eldership or in daily life or as a friend. He is calm, he is godly, he is steady, and he has blessed our lives. Randy Duke loves the Lord and his church. He's a student of ministry, understanding the daily role of church work, having raised a son who is a preacher and a daughter who is married to a youth minister. He's one of the great recent additions to the eldership who is an excellent student and teacher of the word and always a voice of reason. James Beckham is an encourager of souls with a tender heart. He is medicine for the soul with his joy for life and his laughter that he always shares. Always committed, always determined, always faithful, talkative and tender, Heart the size of Texas with roots in Arizona while residing in Tennessee and his citizenship in heaven. We are blessed tremendously, as you know. And this would be a perfect time for us to stop and offer a prayer of thanksgiving. Would you please bow with me? Our great and almighty God, we're so thankful that we're able to come before your throne. Father, we're so thankful for the love that you give us, the examples that you give us. Father, we're thankful for the structure of the church, Christ being the head, and the elders of this congregation being our leaders and what an example that they are for us to follow. Father, we're thankful for, for the elders that began this church, and we're thankful that you, working through them and, and with them, Lord, have brought us to where we are today. Father, we're not only thankful for those who began this work and who are continuing this work, but we're very thankful, Lord, for those that will continue the work that you've started here in Mount Juliet. Father, I pray that as a congregation that we can be pleasant uh, followers of these men. Father, I pray that we can make the, their job an easy and pleasant job. And Father, I pray that as they lead us that we look to them, that we show them the proper respect. And Father, I pray that we just continue as a congregation here to be workers Lord, we're so thankful for all that you have blessed us with. We're thankful for these men that are currently leading us, and we're thankful for their family, and we know the sacrifice that they make daily. And we're just blessed, Lord, that we have so many faithful men and their families that have dedicated their lives to serving you and to serving us. And Father, I pray that we show them that same respect in following them and serving you. 
Father, thank you for all that you have given us. Thank you for your love and thank you for your mercy. And we know that without Jesus Christ, that we would be lost in our sins. And we're so thankful for, for the forgiveness that you offer. Lord, I pray that you continue to be with us, continue to be with our elders and their family. And Lord, allow us to work with them peaceably and allow this church to grow strong and, and to continue to reach this community. Father, we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. At this time, we'd like to ask Greg Coles and Jack Cronk and Kevin Mann to join us here. Just right in front. That's great. In the New Testament, the elders have the overall responsibility for the foresight and direction of the church. They are to seek the mind of Christ, who is the head of the church in all matters through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. They must be able to teach and exhort the church in sound doctrine and refute those who conduct themselves contrarywise. Jack, Greg, Kevin, concerning the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, you are hereby charged to shepherd the flock of God serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, 1 Peter 5 and 2. And you're also charged to take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20 and 28. It has been said that the elders can lead only to the extent the church is willing to follow. This congregation's willingness to follow the elders has always been based upon mutual love and respect and the appreciation of following God's word in all things. Over the years, this church has been blessed with many godly men and women who've worshiped here and who have followed the elders' leadership. When we look at the history of this church and see the names of those men who have served this congregation so faithfully as elders, we're reminded of the words of the Hebrew writer who encourages all Christians to keep the faith. Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's my earnest prayer and charge to this congregation that you will continue to have faith hope and love that the former generations of Christians had and that you will continue to support the elders as these three men are added to the leadership. May we all make every effort to do the Lord's will in his service.
Will you, as a congregation, please stand at this time to show your support for these men? <clears throat> and now we will pray. <clears throat> Holy Father in heaven, you are the great shepherd. You love and care and provide for your sheep. You are a God of love and mercy and grace, and we are so thankful for all this. We're thankful for Christ who sacrificed his life upon the cross in order that we might have the hope of eternal salvation. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful for the Mount Judah Church of Christ family. We're grateful for each member of this family. Father, we're grateful for those elders who have served in the past and for those who have served serving at this particular time. And Father, at this time, we're especially grateful for our new elders. We're grateful that they're willing to accept the privilege and the responsibility of being your shepherds of the church here at Mount Juliet. Father, we pray that you would bless them as they begin this new role. We pray their love for you and for your people will be a great source of strength as they carry out their role as shepherds. May they always be great examples to the flock and be great leaders for you. May they be humble, loving, kind, gentle servants in your kingdom. Father, may they always have a good understanding of your word and the proper knowledge of your word in order to exercise good decisions and make proper judgments. May they have a great vision for the church here and be able to see the needs of this church, both physically and spiritually. Father, we pray that they would help them to always see that the church is edified and that we're able to reach out to the community and to the world. Father, we're thankful for the new families of these men or the families of these new elders. We pray that they will support them encourage them in their work. Father, we thank you for being the great shepherd. We are thankful for Greg Cole, Jack Crunk, Kevin Mann, and for their willingness to shepherd along with those who are presently elders of the Mount Jude Church. We pray that thou would bless them always, that they may be totally committed to you in their role as shepherds. Thank you, Father, for being the great shepherd and providing us with the Christian way of life, the greatest life, and the great hope that it has. We're thankful for Christ who makes it possible for us to enjoy these blessings. And it is, it is in his name that we pray. Amen.
Please be seated. Truly God has done great things, and to Him be the glory. In Ezekiel 34, the wicked or evil shepherds were observed. Their actions were noted. But then when you get down to about verse 11, he starts speaking about this good shepherd that's going to come to this earth, and it's prophetic of the Messiah. And that good shepherd is going to be one that is going to be able to literally be the truth incarnated. He's going to be the one that truly can stand between man and God and, and reconcile us. Remember, that's why the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom was now we can come into the presence of God. When, when he passed away, it was rent. Also, he is the king that leads the way. You remember the night that he was arrested. He said there in John 14 and 6, I am the way the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that's why Jesus, I don't think, could hardly have said John the 10th chapter, and we're about to extend an invitation, be thinking about your life and your soul, and if there's anything that, that we can help you with today, we would love to. In John the 10th chapter, we have a passage where Jesus makes it clear that he recognizes himself as that shepherd. I really know where John 10 is. Just give me a minute. In verse 11, he says, and this whole passage is about shepherding, but he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and he does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. Nobody loves you the way Jesus loves you. Nobody cares for you the way Jesus cares for you. When danger would come into you, Jesus would step between you and danger if you allow him. Now, if you want to stiff arm him and you want to reject him, he won't force his way into your life. But you will never have someone to care for you the way the good shepherd will. Tonight, if you're not a sheep in the flock of the great shepherd, we're going to give you an invitation song and we would love for you to respond. And if you need to be baptized into Christ, if you need to be restored this morning, if there's any way we can help you, 